Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to talk to Josh Parcell coming up here momentarily. Uh, Gordon, he's our college football insider, but uh, Josh is going to be useful in all sorts of different ways today because we'll talk to him about the uh, the title game. We'll talk to him about Michael Leach uh, going down there to Mississippi State. But also he covers the Charlotte Hornets, and the Hornets are in town to take on the Jazz tomorrow, so we'll be able to ask him about that as well. All good. All good. And Josh is a smart dude. I feel bad that Austin has made you self-conscious about your sweatshirt. I think you look fine. I'm not that self-conscious. Can I tell you a really funny thing that just happened? What? I misdialed Josh's number by one digit, and they answered. And I said, hey, guy, how's it going? (laughs) And a woman said, I'm a guy? Oh, boy. And then I tried to explain to her what happened. She said she didn't seem to really care. She, she, was, she was really mad. Did she hang up on you? She did. Okay. With a with a expletive. Hmm. Oh, did she? Yes. Well, may, well, maybe she. She was, didn't sound like a Debbie, but maybe she was busy doing something. She sounded like a Josh. Hmm. <laughs> well, we'll get uh, we'll get Josh on with us coming here. Uh, what, what, what are you looking forward to in this uh, college football championship game? Are you expecting this to be? Hard-fought and competitive, or do you think LSU in a landslide? No, hard-fought and competitive. I I am excited that I think we're seeing the two best quarterbacks in the country go head-to-head. And they have some pretty fine receivers, too. Yeah. Is Clemson still banged up, or have they healed? Because, man, you remember all those injuries yeah. that were going on there, at least getting dinged? I'm not sure, to be yeah, honest. Me neither. I am. I, I, so I'm probably pulling for Clemson just because ACT team or whatever, but how could you not kind of root for Coach O? <laughs> yeah. How could you not kind of root for Coach O, Jerron? Especially, you know, it didn't go well for him at Ole Miss. He did a good job taking over for Lane Kiffin at USC, but then they passed on him. You know, yeah. he's he's he hasn't had that many bites at the apple for a guy that's been a part of a lot of successful programs very successful programs from Miami to USC and pretty much everywhere in between. And he's got that kind of magnetic personality. Well, as much uh, as I have against the college football playoff and that it is incomplete and it needs some arranging arrangements uh, and less politicking and, and some expansion, I, I think they got the two best teams going here. And uh, that's kind of what you want. Uh, real quick here, some some jazz news. Uh, I'm not sure how old this is, but uh, just so folks know, Wednesday, January 22nd, e- ESPN will televise Nuggets versus Rockets instead of Jazz versus Warriors. So oh, adjust well. your adjust your calendars. That's not the Jazz's fault. No, we don't have a new game time with that, but we'll uh, we'll keep you updated as that comes across. Why are you smiling, Jake? Um, <clears throat> no reason. Just. Okay. Uh, All right. You know, I, I love late. It's not in the afternoons. Anymore. I love late start times, Austin. You know that about me. I I I love staying in this studio until the wee hours of the morning. It's it's the best. It's it smells my favorite. good. Yeah, it does. All right, 
Let's get out of the Sprint special guest line, Lisa, any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, our college football insider. He does a radio show on WFNZ in Charlotte. He's also on Sirius XM uh, Radio, part of their college football coverage. He's our good friend, Josh Parcell. Josh, hello. Happy belated holidays. How are you? I'm doing well. You guys got the right number? <laughs> yeah, did Austin tell you about that little fiasco there? I, I, I heard. I heard. I think you should have just interviewed her instead. <laughs> I did, she didn't sound like she was in the mood. Yeah, yeah it, it might have been rather <laughs> colorful. Yeah, did, not, did not sound like she probably like knows she was more in. than I do. <laughs> so, Josh, you are the perfect guest to have on the radio today because not only do we have college football championship game coming up, we'll ask you about Mike Leach, but the Hornets are in town tomorrow, and we know you cover the Hornets as well. So we've got a lot to cover with you, and let's start with the national title game. Is this – is this a one-sided matchup, or do you think we're in for a good one? I think we're in for a classic. At least I hope so, but I really do think we are, too. I think this is the best matchup of quarterbacks that we've seen in a national championship game probably in about 15 years. Uh, I know there have been a few really good ones. I mean, heck, just last year, Tua versus Trevor Lawrence was fantastic. I think it was diminished a bit because Tua was clearly not himself. He was still a little injured, lingering from what happened earlier in the regular season. You go back to Vince Young and Matt Leinart. This reminds me a lot of that one. You have a Heisman Trophy winner in Matt Leinart, uh, just like you do with Joe Burrow. And then you have that other, like, otherworldly talent who didn't have a Heisman somehow, like Vince Young, similar to Trevor Lawrence. Obviously different players, but, you know, the background kind of matches up. And I think we're in for just an absolute classic battle between two great quarterbacks. And, you know, you also, by the same token – have the two highest-paid defensive coordinators in the country who are tasked with stopping these two guys. So it's just going to be an incredible battle of strength on strength. And I, first to 70 wins, I don't know. I mean, these two offenses are going to put up a lot of points. It's going to be fun to watch. Who's got the speed edge? Who's got the athleticism advantage? Mm. I would say offensively, I think Clemson's offense is a little more athletic. Uh, if you look especially on the outside, like T. Higgins and, and Justin Ross are just an incredible combination. I think a little bit more natural gifts at those positions. Also, running back Travis Etienne is a, is a much more, I think, physically gifted runner than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Edwards-Alaire is just a bowling ball. I mean, great player, but maybe not as gifted as Etienne. So offensively, I would lean towards Clemson. Also, Lawrence, more more physically gifted than Joe Burrow. But uh, on the defensive side, I, I think LSU's defense is a little bit more athletic than Clemson. Clemson has Isaiah Simmons, who's tremendous and can play about eight different positions. But for LSU, you're talking about guys at all three levels. Grant Zilpitt's fantastic. Uh, Stingley is fantastic, the young defensive back as well. Uh, so I would lean LSU on the defensive side. I mean, their front four guys goes, what, on average 6'3", 315. I mean, it's just a massive defensive line. Uh, I think that would be their advantage. So, like I said, guys, it's, it, pick your poison because there's not really a weakness on either side of the ball for both teams. Josh, give me your take on Coach uh, Ogeron. His journey is so interesting to me because he was always the recruiter, right? The talent guy. Got a bite of the apple with Ole Miss. Uh, got a little bit of a shot uh, with USC, and they passed on him. But he's got such that, that electric personality that he just he's an easy guy to root for, I guess. He's definitely an easy guy to root for. Both of these guys are. And I'm not, I'm not right a lot, but I was right about Ed Orgeron. A year and a half ago, guys, or actually two years ago, really, 
I wrote an article on my old site, CFB Country, where I said, Ed Orgeron is Dabo Sweeney 2.0. And remember, when I wrote this, people were not sold on Ed Orgeron at all. People thought that he was, like you said, more of a personality, not great with X's and O's, was a loser at Ole Miss. Like, you know, he was passed over by Tom, or, you know, people thought that Tom Herman should get the job over him. It didn't happen. Herman chose Texas. So he was kind of an afterthought. But yet he was an amazing recruiter, this great personality who could sell a vision and could convince anybody in a room to run through a wall for him, and he was going to bring in a great staff and great talent. That's what Dabo Sweeney did, guys. Dabo Sweeney did not start off well at Clemson. The interim coach, nobody really believed in him. He's this position coach, not even a coordinator, just like Coach O. And it took a few years for that thing to really take hold. And when he hired Chad Morris as his offensive coordinator and then brought in Brett Venables, he had a great staff, and what happened? Clemson became a giant. This is exactly what LSU is doing. It's the same exact blueprint. It took a couple years. They went through a couple coordinators. Matt Canada, you remember, came from Pittsburgh. He was fired after a season. Steve Emsinger, who's still there as an OC, was there, but you know couldn't quite make it work. What happened? Bring in Joe Brady. Joe Brady has completely revamped that offense, and now LSU has a great figurehead as their head coach, a great recruiter. And they got a great staff who can handle the X's and O's. So uh, LSU is following Clemson's blueprint. The scary thing is LSU is in a more fertile territory for recruiting than even Clemson is. They're going to, I mean, they're already at the top, clearly, but I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. So what kind of score are we looking at? <laughs> uh, 56 to 49. I, I mean, it, I just think, I know these defenses are good, but. In this day and age, great defenses can't stop great offenses in college football. They just can't. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we sit here in a week and it's a low-scoring game, but nobody has been able to slow down Joe Burrow. The closest the team came was Auburn. That was a 23-20 tight game back in October. Clemson, on the other hand, nobody slowed them down either. To be fair, they haven't faced a competition really worthy of them, but I just feel like this is a game where Joe Burrow is going to dissect Clemson's defense as he has all year long, and Trevor Lawrence and T. Higgins and Justin Ross are going to make enough plays to, to score points. I think the issue for Clemson is going to be, can you control the clock? LSU's offense is a little more potent. It just The way their scheme is designed, they, they get guys open uh, more quickly, make plays. I think Clemson's going to have to play a little bit of ball control just to keep the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. Uh, for them to win, I think they're capable of doing that. But that, to me, is the key. Can Clemson control the clock? Mike Leach is on the move. Josh uh, hired as the next guy at Mississippi State. Your thoughts? Uh, Mike Leach is hilarious. He's an amazing guy. He's a great personality. Having him versus Lane Kiffin, as everyone's pointed out today, is the greatest gift to college football we could ever think of. And if it weren't for an Ole Miss player pretending to pee like a dog in the end zone, probably none of this ever happened. So think about that when you think about great moments in college football history, what, it, what that affected down the line. But I think Leach versus Kiffin's going to be great. I think it was time for him to move on from Washington State. Of course, they went 5-7. and seven. Leach, to me, while I love the guy, has always been a little bit more bark than bite. Uh, he has two win or two uh, ten win seasons in his career. Uh, last season at Washington State, back in 2008 at Texas Tech. I get it. You're at Texas Tech and Washington State. You're not at blue blood programs. But in this day and age, we've had great coaches who have come into programs that are not traditional powerhouses, and they've sustained excellence. Mike Leach has sustained 
I think, consistently good teams, but he has not coached consistently great teams. Mississippi State fired Joe Moorhead because they didn't think he could be great. I don't know what they're expecting from Mike Leach. Mike Leach has consistently won eight, nine games. That should be the ceiling at Mississippi State, but it feels like fans have other ideas. I hope as long as they have realistic expectations, they'll be very happy with Mike Leach. If they expect Mississippi State to knock off Alabama and LSU, then you know, the honeymoon won't last that long. Josh Parcell with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, switching gears from college football for a second. Josh, you cover the Charlotte Hornets. They're in Charlotte, and the Hornets are in town coming up tomorrow night. And uh, I was doing the Jazz postgame show last night, and I was talk- we were previewing the game with my co-host. And uh, we were talking about how it seems like Charlotte, you know, they lose Kemba Walker, and he's playing well in Boston. But plug in Terry Rozier, and he's been terrific. It, it doesn't seem like the Hornets have fallen off that much. Am I, am I correct in that? They certainly haven't fallen off as much as we thought they would. And Rozier's played a big part of that. The bigger, I think, revelation this season has been Devontae Graham. I mean, when Devontae Graham stepped in this season he was a role player at the beginning of the year was it supposed to be i should say first game of the year he goes nuts early on he's averaging close to 30 points a game for one stretch settled in right around 20 and all of a sudden after a couple of weeks defenses started to realize we need to attack this guy he's not just some flash in the pan this is a bona fide legitimate score first point guard and i think that combination of graham and rogier has been really fun for the hornets you know, James Borrego, their head coach, is someone who I bet a lot of your listeners out there in Utah probably don't know a lot about. He's a pretty mild-mannered guy. Hornets don't play on national TV. You, you don't really hear about James Borrego. He has been a tremendous developer of talent. He has developed guys like Graham, even Rozier, who's shooting at a career-high rate right now from three. P.J. Washington, some of the other guys have played really hard for him and played well. The Hornets are almost playing too well for their own good because they're still a piece or two away, guys that they need to add in the draft from being, I think, a team that could even start to consider contending in the Eastern Conference down the line. And if they keep playing the way they are now, they're going to fall too far out of the lottery where they may not get one of those top two or three picks and land a potentially transcendent talent, which I still think this roster is lacking if we're talking about building a contender. Utah should should have their way with them tomorrow night as long as they play as well as they're capable of, which I know has been a concern at some point. What do you think about the Panthers hiring Matt Rule? I love it. I love the hire. I mean, well-rounded candidate. A lot of the guys out there right now in the, in the NFL who are looking for jobs are offensive coordinators. Nothing wrong with that. But I like that the Panthers went out and hired a CEO. They hired a guy who's coached defensive line, linebackers, tight ends, offensive line, quarterbacks, run game coordinator, offensive coordinator. He's, he's been all over the place. He knows the game from both sides of the ball. He's a tremendous leader. He, guys, he had eight four-star recruits in three seasons at Baylor. Oklahoma had 48 four- and five-star recruits in that span. Baylor had no five-star guys, but eight of them were four-stars. So Oklahoma had six times as many blue-chip recruits, and yet Baylor took them to the wire not once but twice in the last month of the season. Probably should have beat them both times. Uh, the second time losing an OT with a third-string quarterback. And that rule does more with less than any other coach in college football. I think he's going to be a really good hire in Carolina. It might take some time, but they gave him seven years and $60 million. That sounds like enough time to me. The Panthers will be patient. I think Matt Rule will, will figure out this NFL thing pretty quickly. What's that new owner, that new Panthers owner? What's he like? 
You know, if you guys out there, you're a little closer to the West Coast, if you know Steve Ballmer, yeah. that kind of eccentric, you know, new age owner of the Clippers, Dave Tepper reminds me a lot of him. He's a little bit more blue collar than Ballmer is, but very progressive. Outside the box is not going to run this team the, the traditional way. You know, the NFL is a, is a league that's very much set in its ways, and it can be very rigid at times. And, you know, the Panthers were like that before Dave Tepper, but this is a the richest owner in the NFL, worth about $12 billion, billion with a B. He is worth a lot of money, and he's not afraid to spend it. I think the Panthers are soon going to be one of the teams that is uh, on the forefront of a lot of emerging technology and, and new ideas in the NFL. They were the first team to partner with a casino. Uh, they've partnered with Harris Casino down the road in, Car- in the Carolinas. So you're just seeing the Panthers willing to take chances on some things that maybe some other teams would be a little bit more afraid to do. It's a conservative league. Tepper doesn't operate that way, and it might upset some people along the way, but I think ultimately he's going to make some pretty aggressive, bold changes in Carolina. And he's a fun guy to, to get along with. He seems very personable for someone who's made $12 billion in his life. Well, Josh, we can't thank you enough for jumping on and covering a variety of topics with us today. And, hey, we'll, we'll wave at you on the Hornets TV broadcast tomorrow night. There you go. Awesome. Enjoy it, guys. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks, buddy. There you go. That's our good friend Josh Parcell, not only our college football insider, but he also does radio there in Charlotte. So talk to him a little bit about the Hornets and the Panthers as well. You can also uh, catch Josh on Sirius XM Radio's College Football Channel. Uh, does uh, just a terrific job and is always fun uh, to have on the big show. We have him on once a week during the college football season. We thought today would be the perfect day uh, to check in with him. So, all right, uh, coming up right around the corner, we'll get to more. Of course, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs coming up, uh, all the craziness in the NBA last night. It's all straight ahead here on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Slow Mo Joe. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK. PK. Do you think you're playing the best you've ever played in the NBA right now? I honestly feel good. I mean, I don't even know if I've played the best sport better or whatever. I think here for me is I've tried to get better. I've tried to do something different to make myself more effective or more efficient or whatever it is. And I just feel really comfortable. I'm obviously really comfortable with the system. I'm obviously comfortable with coach. And like I said, every year I try to add something to both ends, offensively and defensively. And yeah, I'm just in a really good spot. Oh, yeah. Catch Jazzman Joe Ingles with DJ and PK every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, some quick NBA news, Gordon. Uh, did, I, I'm not sure if you saw Joel Embiid's dislocated finger the other night. That was fairly gruesome. But now he's uh, getting surgery for torn ligaments. He's going to be out for at least two weeks. Philadelphia might go down, might be in my book, the most disappointing team right now in the NBA. And they had, not that they've been all that bad, 
but they made these moves that haven't really worked. And there's been the door is opened a little bit in the Eastern Conference, and you thought maybe they were one of the teams that's going to step through it, and they just haven't. And then the guy they they basically couldn't come to a deal on or passed on, Jimmy Butler, is down in Miami just crushing it. We asked Sam Amick about that earlier. The guy's just a man on the mission, and Philadelphia has basically lost a little bit. But think about what the Sixers have been through. You know the whole process. And it took so long to put all these pieces together. And so folks were so optimistic about it. And you're right. There are real questions as to whether it's going to really come to the kind of fruition that they had hoped for back there. Well, Joel Embiid is is their best player by far, and um, you know it'll be tough to win without him. But yeah, even but, yeah, but yeah, even he doesn't engage himself fully all the time. Like we yeah. we saw him play against Rudy, he wanted nothing to do with Rudy. He stood on the outside and just shot. And those kinds of players are, I don't know, they're kind of dangerous. You know, you never know exactly what you're going to get. Although he is extremely talented, there's no doubt about that. And I'm not calling into question, you know, this whole thing with the dislocated. Have you ever dislocated a finger? Yes, playing basketball with you. Oh, that's right. When I which, dislo- one, which one was it? It was my thumb. I dislocated my thumb. How is it? Is it? It's uh, fine. Is it? Is it? Does it look weird or no. act weird? No. Hands popped it right back in. Remember? Yeah. Well, see, this finger uh, was dislocated when I was playing football many, many years ago. And uh, it was sticking out to the side like, you know, I mean, dislocated finger. And uh, to this day, that finger has never really been the same. So it's not – I mean, yeah, you can pop it back in, and somebody did. But uh, those ligaments that go along with it, that can take a while, and the swelling is is not comfortable. Remember Larry Bird's hands? No. I mean, they they just were all gnarled, and the joints were all messed up from – Smashing his fingers, uh, playing basketball. Now, now here's the story, Austin. How have we not heard the day that Gordon held hands with Larry Bird? Seriously. I didn't hold hands with him. I just looked at his hands. <laughs> no, the detail of Larry oh, Bird's oh, hands. Well, they look like some sort of misshaped uh, cigar box or something. I mean, Austin, I, probably a few people will get this reference, but uh, the, the Charlie's uncle in Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah. is obsessed with his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get yeah. a little bit of that vibe. Yeah, there's a little bit here. Not really. Come on. He had. Did, were there any dimples on the back of Larry's hand? Didn't look that close. But I know. But as you felt it, was I was feel his was his his hand like milky smooth? I didn't feel. Did his he have hands. a pedicure? I did not. Or a manicure. Uh, no, Which one is it? Manicure? Uh, that'd be manicure. Foot. <laughs> did you get into his feet as well, or did you just stop with his hands? <laughs> uh, I think we better stop. You, you've right asked there. me some really weird questions, but that's got to be up there. You, you ever seen Larry Bird's hands? Well, what's so no. weird about that question? No, not. What is weird about that? <laughs> I've not seen Larry Bird's hands, no. Like in person? You saw him in person, you saw his hands. Yeah. But I, that would mean Jake would have had to like Google image search Larry Bird's hands because he wasn't. Which is weird. And and what what are no, you, I'm just you saying, interviewing him and just staring you, at his hands? No, it's it, it's not it's not weird like that. All right. When you see someone's hands that are and their fingers are all going in different directions and swollen and gnarled, I mean that's something you might notice. Hey, Larry, do you moisturize? <laughs> 
Uh, hey, Hard answer, to find a good pair of gloves. I want to get your opinion on that. Who's <laughs> Who's been the most disappointing team? And keep in mind that in the NBA this year, now keep in mind disappointing doesn't necessarily mean terrible, but just maybe not as good as you thought. Who, who's, who's got that label for you? And I want to get your thoughts too, Austin. But Gordon, who's... Well, my answer to that initially will be, well, you already hit on a good one with the Sixers. But I, I think it's weird to say, but I thought that the Clippers were going to be much more difficult than they've been so far. Um, The Clippers right now, 26-12. and 12. They're four and a half games back of the Lakers. It's hard to say that, you know, I thought they're they were. They're in fourth, fourth in the West. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I thought we they both were picked them. LA. Yeah, we both picked them. I still think they're a better team than the Lakers. Well, I've beaten them twice. I mean, it, it's just this load management thing is clunky, and they're going to drop some games just because of that. They didn't have Paul George at the beginning. Yeah, that's um, true. Patrick Beverly's been hurt. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for the Clippers. I can see why that would be a, a candidate for your answer because we thought they were going to be unbelievable. But I still think they would be my pick in the West. So who who is most disappointing other than the Sixers? So I'm looking at it. I think you could – here's some nominees. Portland? I Portland think is my Portland, answer. Is that your answer, yep. Austin? Because I, I think that that could I be. I thought they'd be a top four in the West team. I really did. See, I, they're not. I didn't like their offseason moves. And then I think Nurkic is a lot more valuable to them than what's the, people realize. What's the prognosis on him? Uh, I think they're still aiming for post-All-Star break. That, that, that broken leg was so bad. Uh-huh. I mean, he might, he might be back this season but not as effective. I mean that was that was a rough injury and Hassan Whiteside is just a disaster. I yeah, mean that yeah. that that wasn't a good idea. But I, I but think you have that great guard line, and so if you got some help, well, if Zach Collins didn't get hurt, yeah, true. I mean that's a loss for but, them. But, but he was available to them when they got off to that horrendous start. Yeah. All right, I think you could put Portland up there. I think the Kings at fifteen and twenty three. I thought that they would be a little bit better. I mean they were. That, I mean, yeah. a long shot, but they were sure. they were pushing for a playoff yeah. bid last year. Minnesota just can't get off the mat. I've I've never believed in them, and I, I, I won't until they have yeah, a different owner. I, I didn't have high expectation yep. there. I mean, see, there's teams like the Wizards that are just dreadful. But did you expect anything else? No. You know, no. I I actually think this Hornets team that we're going to see next year or uh, tomorrow night here at the arena, even though they're 15 and 25, I you could actually say that they're overachieving. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I'm saying like, uh, you know what? This is my answer. I take it back. My answer might be the Hawks. Hmm. And they've been missing their second best player because of a drug violation. Uh, so maybe there's some excuse built in there. But they've only won eight games. Worst team in the league? Did you think that Trey Young and the Hawks were going to be the worst no. team in the league no, this I year? No, I did not think that. But I, I, I really think that uh, Austin, uh, I, I agree with Portland. Uh, um, upon further review, I think that that's the one I would go. What are they now, 16-22, something like that? Portland? Uh, yep, 16-22. Oh. Sitting in the uh, 10th spot in the Western Conference. They're only a game out of the playoffs, only a game behind of uh, well, behind it's, it's, San Antonio. It's, that's the thing about this question right now. It's early yet, and any one of these teams could could really come on strong. So. All right, so give me your your surprise NBA team from a from a positive standpoint. Miami. I I was about to say I think there's only one right answer, and I think there is Miami. I, I maybe an honorable mention for Dallas. I was going to say yeah. if you underestimated Doncic. Is Doncic's ability to carry an entire team? Yeah. You might be surprised by Dallas being were there, but they have slipped in the standings as of late. They've lost what couple in a row, I think. Mm-hmm. They but, were they were second 
two weeks ago. But Jimmy Butler goes to Miami, and everybody says, "Geez, what's he doing? He's True. just he just wants to to sun himself on the beach." Yeah. And he goes down there, and he's basically on a he's a one man wrecking crew who's just on a mission well, to prove he's that he's some, a superstar. I like that team. That team's fun to watch. It's it not, is. It's not just Jimmy Butler. I think Spolster deserves a lot of credit. And I, I actually think that Jimmy Butler, watching him these past couple of years, I think he's somewhat gotten a bad rap. Why, why, why should we consider somebody a knucklehead for requiring their their uh, teammates to work hard? You think he's misunderstood well, a little hold bit? On, yeah. Hold on, hold on here, hold hold the phone, because you were the one that was saying that when Rudy Gobert spoke out that that was a mistake, and that's kind of what Jimmy Butler does. Yeah, yeah, and you put it that way. Maybe, maybe I should examine. The, see, the the timing of Rudy's though was was more of what I like. Rudy can. We had this discussion. Rudy can do what he wants. I, this is America, and if he feels that's necessary, then then go right ahead. I just don't see how that could be necessary at that point during the season with all these new teammates. Where of course it's going to take a little time to get on the same page. And nine games in, you're putting everybody on blast. I mean. You know, I I had no problem when when Rudy made those comments about a certain teammate a few years ago when the season was coming down the stretch and they needed to get some W's. I see that that seemed to be like more productive from a timing standpoint than the second week of the season or whatever. And it that's was. all true. There's a there there may be a better way to say things sometimes, but I don't necessarily mind a player speaking out, especially if he does have the best interests of the team at heart and it's not all about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But that's what it was about well, Rudy. Well it was, but I think he thought that that would make the team better. Give me, give me, give me, give me. That's going to make the I team think, I better. I think he thought it would. Okay, well, that's not the message that comes out, though. Well, I mean, so there's a lot of times where there's miscommunication. Mm. So I, I don't think that that was productive. Regardless of Rudy's motivation, I don't think that that was productive. Mm. If you're looking for me to evaluate somebody's right. decision, I don't think that that well, was the right I, thing to do. I don't think it was ideal. And, and it probably wasn't the right thing for Jimmy Butler to do either, right? But I, I do think that there was a little misunderstanding there. I mean, how unbelievable of a story is that, that Jimmy's basically stayed away from all of the Timberwolves practices and then flies in, gets off the plane, goes to the practice facility, picks the crappiest dudes <laughs> on the team, and goes out and whoops the yeah. starters. That's yeah. amazing. And well, his only complaint basically was is that those guys are lazy. Remember that interview earlier this year when they were interviewing him and his teammates were coming up behind, kind of goofing around like Donovan Mitchell does sometimes with his teammates? And he said, get out of here. This isn't about you. It's about me. Right. And I didn't think that the—I don't think we understood that whole thing. That could have been an inside joke. I didn't think that was a big deal either. You were the one who made a big deal about that. Well, and I don't know, because when you saw it, uh, when you really looked at it, it seemed like he there might have been something else going on there. So I you know, now whatever. who's reading I, I into stuff? A, I don't have a big problem with guys speaking out. Well, whatever. He's he's the leader of one of the best teams in the league. Somehow, yeah, yeah. I can't argue with it. No. One one more uh, nomination for maybe surprising some folk is uh, the defending national or the national champs, the defending NBA Finals winners. Yeah, the Toronto. Toronto yeah, that's a good one. Toronto's been better than I think a lot of folks expected. And Pascal Siakam yes. is awesome. He is. He is awesome. Yep. It's funny how it's almost like, and I'm not saying Toronto is better than it was last year. Obviously, they're not without Kawhi. But sometimes when you prune the the the, uh, the hedge back a little bit, it can uh, fill in a little fuller. 
Like when your uh, most the most overrated hitter in the league leaves and goes to uh, some <laughs> crappy dump team, and then you win the World Series. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> it's a good example. I, I don't know where you come up with that, Jake. I don't either. Thanks, I mean, for, uh, thanks for filling everybody in with that and reminding yeah. them of that fact. The most overrated hitter in the league leaves, and you get better somehow. Maybe the history of yeah. the league. When the Phillies come around, you're going to be a miserable man. I'm not, because you're not going to care then, just like you don't care now. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. But I'll, I'll make a point of caring. Just you tried so I, to do that with the Rams. It didn't work. <laughs> just so I can hit you over the head with it. Okay. Well, when you can, you go right ahead, because that's what friends do. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. You've taught me that. Yeah, that's what friends do. I, I was unaware of that until you made that perfectly clear. Welcome aboard, partner. <laughs> Okay. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. <laughs> Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sun take you away. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, just a little programming note for you. Uh, coming up at the top of the 6 o'clock hour, The Big Show will continue on on 97.5, and we'll have a little doc talk brought to you by University of Utah Health coming up on the AM side on 1280. Uh, Hans, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a good doctor in uh, tonight, as usual. Doc talk, uh, always a good time. What's the worst sports injury you've ever had? You played tennis and baseball, and yeah, and you played other sports as well. Which one, did you ever really get hurt? You know what? I was pretty fortunate in that way. I had I had a one year in baseball. I battled kind of arm soreness there for a little bit, but nothing. What was you the know, cause? Nothing. Throwing severe. too many curveballs. Uh, probably just overuse in general. I just threw a lot that year. Huh. But nothing. I mean, nothing that I can really complain about. To be honest, I got a. I got a. I got uh, hit in the face with a baseball while I was sliding into second where I got a black eye. No no orbital bone breakage or anything like that? Nah. Since I was a left-hander, like all growing up in baseball, nobody had any idea how to pitch to a lefty, so I got hit like twice a game. (laughs) But nothing, I mean, nothing really severe. Are you sure it wasn't because you were crowding the plate? Well, you do that too, but, you know. But, yeah, nobody could throw to a left-hander. Really? Oh, yeah. You, you're not a left. It's true. When you first start pitching, yeah. I, I, in I, fact, I, I had a coach a that while. I had a coach that would uh, roll us out there as though we were left-handed batters, uh, just so we could get a guy get on base. Used, yeah, right. Uh. No, like uh, once you get to, I'd say, once you get to to high school, maybe maybe upper ages of Babe Ruth, it changes a little bit because you get more focused and more lefties or whatever. But as you start out in little league and stuff like that, oh yeah, kids have no clue how to pitch to lefties. I think about that a lot with all the athletes I've interviewed through the years. Uh, you know, they they generally think it's been worth it. We've had this conversation with Rob Morris with some of his uh, resultant uh, medical difficulties because of all those years of playing football. Uh, they seem to have uh, had a positive experience regardless. But, man, there are a lot of guys out there, and, and maybe women too, depending upon the sports they played, 
that are hurting a little bit, you know, and those as the years have gone by because they gave so much out on the field, out on the diamond, out on the court. How did your professional hockey career affect your health? I, I, I didn't get hurt playing hockey. Still have all your teeth? Yep. Never got in a fight, huh? Uh, well, we we couldn't fight. Well, how did you contain yourself from beating another man to death with your stick? Um, without fist fighting, I mean, how did how did you not you know basically slay somebody? I I uh, I don't get it. Jake, the NHL level is different. It's still the same game, right? It's still the same. You game. You still have a stick in your hand, but right? You have you have that's the top level of hockey, and you have guys who are pretty crafty with the stick. I just want to give you credit for not murdering somebody. That's all. I'm yeah. just trying to, I'm, you know, somehow you played a sport uh, using the equipment for that sport and didn't, you know, beat somebody to death because you couldn't have a fist fight instead. But I wasn't playing for a Stanley Cup either. What does that matter? You're probably playing because guys for are the— guys motivated. They're willing, they're willing to darn near anything out well, there. Well, were, you were playing for the, the regional rookie league crown, right? <laughs> I mean, there's still a lot on the line. Uh, not really. So— I'm just proud of you, that's all, because that Jake, logic does make th- so th- much this sense. Is, this is so frustrating, having this conversation with, a, with an infidel, you know, because you, you've never played— Hockey, you don't know what it's like to have someone slash We're you. We're going there, huh? So now you, of all people, are pulling out the you didn't play, so you can't have an opinion card, huh? Well, on this particular issue. Really? Very this, interesting. On a very slim, narrow issue, that much is true. Okay. All right. I don't subscribe to that theory in always the way some former professional athletes or coaches might like to throw that around. But it's okay when you do it. No, just in this one particular sliver of sport. Of expertise, you're, you're pulling out the, you know, that's like saying, like, I don't pull out the don't you know who I am card unless I'm getting a speeding ticket. I mean, in that one sliver of life's existence, I'll, I'll use that. No, because that is representative of every other sliver of life experience. If you're going to pull that out then, then you're going to, that's who you are. Hmm. You're prone to that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> all right. I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm up to date on your, I, I, this all started with a compliment for you, really, Uh-oh. was that you, you somehow, you know, didn't get in fist fights on the ice and, and managed not to beat a man to death. So I, I really started as, as a pride thing. Hmm. I'm just going you to, seem upset. I'm just going to grunt over here. You, and move on. you, you do. You, you seem, you seem a little bit I've upset. Ta- it's I've okay. Talked, I've talked to enough players who've played at that level to have changed my opinion on that one. You know, uh, we had Luke Robitaille on with Tony and I for the Salt Lake Shootout, and I asked him this very question. And he said he thinks that there needs to be less fighting in hockey. Wait a minute. I asked him the same question when he was on the big show, and he said, yes, he understood That was the year prior. Oh. He evolved. You went backwards. He came forward. And should we be surprised? And he won a Stanley Cup or two. Well, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe less fighting would be good, but uh, I'm just saying don't eliminate it, because if you do, then there's going to be all kinds of shenanigans going on on the No, ice. no, I get Luke's, Luke's take being for fighting. I mean, the man would be in jail this very minute 
if it weren't for fighting in his sport. Who knows what kind of who, crimes he would have committed? Absolutely. No, who no, knows? He'd, no. be, he'd be in Leavenworth right no, now. No, because Luke Robitaille needed a protector on the ice. Because he was about scoring. He did He did admit to us, he said, but that's because I wasn't a very good fighter. Right. So. He was the guy that was being protected but without by the fighting, bullies on his team. Without fighting, how did he contain himself, though, whether he's a good fighter or not? Because he don't want to get do, beat if, up further. If you don't satisfy your bloodlust by fist fighting somebody no, on the ice, no. then you're not to that's, be held responsible that, for your actions. That's somebody else's job. Not the leading scorer. So now it's situational. It, so that's why we allow vampires one day a year to come out and feed, so they don't the rest of the year to fix their bloodlust. Right. Yeah. No, yes, it's like, like it if, makes I, if sense. I want to reflect back on the, the the Broad Street bullies, the Philadelphia Flyers. It wasn't Bobby Clark's job to beat up other people when he got slashed. That was Dave the Hammer Schultz's job. But then how and he came over and enforced and protected the player who needed to be protected from the other players who were willing to do that but via how, guerrilla warfare. But how did Bobby get his violent aggression out? If he's no, not doing the fighting, knew, how is he, he not tearing off his because, skate listen, and, and, and slashing because, another because man he, to death? Because he knew Dave the Hammer was coming around the corner but that to doesn't do that al- for him. It doesn't alleviate his aggression. Yes, it does. No. no, it's not about the aggression. It's about protecting the freaking game and keeping it clean. By caving in another man's face. If need be. Got it. Not necessarily caving in someone's face, but you've got to discourage that kind of behavior to keep the hockey clean. I don't know how Bobby Somebody help me. Somebody out there who knows hockey, will you please explain this to you're Jake not, Scott? He doesn't understand. You're not going to get it because it's indefensible. It is not. You're not listening Fist to what's fighting being said. is a critical component in this sport. I think the TV ratings would go up if guys were removing their skates and... Impaling. I agree. They should be thrown. Oh, they should sure. be thrown weapons. I I completely <laughs> agree with you. Who's going to get to that baseball bat with a nail in it first? One player per team gets an aluminum bat. Do, do me a favor. Anybody who is out there listening right now, and you've played hockey, and you know of which I'm speaking, will you please send some information to Jake Scott at Jake Scott Zone? Please send it to him so that he can understand what I'm talking about here. I bet Hans would be able to understand it. Hans is hitting you right now. Well, I know he is, but those are love taps from him. Don't you knock me out. What do you think about fighting in hockey? (laughs) I like it a lot. Now, do you think there would be less? Do you think? I like it. Do you think there would be fewer like high-low penalties in football if they just let you know a fist fight occur? Dudes fight it out. Yeah, they just pause the action and go. All right, you know what, Hans, you go fist fight that offensive lineman, get it out of you. Probably because I would spend if it happened in the first quarter, I spend the next three quarters figuring out a way to get him back. I'm telling you right now, I would I would have loved to have played hockey with this man right here. That is a bald face. Lies. No, I would because, told lies because, before. because this man right here would be the enforcer. I would have spent would, a lot of time fighting. None of that nonsense. And hockey is so fast up and down. The it's not like football where you stop and you get to play and everybody comes. No, no, 
hockey's going this way and that way, and guys are slashing with their sticks, and it cannot be permitted. Well, I just, and Hans would be the enforcer I don't to step know. in and say, hey, Jake Scott, don't mess with Jake Scott because he's my score. I just don't know how Hans made it all the way through his football career without peeling off his helmet and beating a man to death because <laughs> he couldn't get out that aggression by fist fighting him. It's not him. a matter how of aggression. How did you do it? Congratulations, it's not sir. A, it's not Congratulations. A it might have not, happened in practice. It's not a matter of aggression. <laughs> it's not. You're, you're mixing this up. It's a matter of keeping the game clean. And you hate fighting in hockey, don't you? I, I've heard d- you talk about this. I don't this. think it, it is necessary. Really? How about that? Yeah. I don't oh, think it's... Man. Talk to anybody at a high level I think level it's origination hockey, They will disagree with how you How necessary that. it is. And, you know, to think that you've got a sharp metal object attached to your foot that you could pull off at your convenience <laughs> and just have at it with somebody. I don't know how these people restrain themselves. I really don't. Because yeah, well, they're not trying to really... Did this come off they're, this... They're not trying to damage other people. They're trying to keep the game I clean. don't know did how we got here. Did this come off this Venezuelan thing where he used a baseball bat to... No, but that sounds Did violent. you guys see this? No. Oh, it's a, it was a, a Winter League Venezuela attack. A pitcher being the guy in the back. This is a former... Oh, was it the Braves? Former Major League Baseball guy, 36 years old. Beans him in the back, and he knew that the the catcher called the call oh. and took his bat and Ooh. turned around and slammed it right down on his shoulder and the pitcher got up and pulled his glove off and the guy came after him and hit him right across the chest with the bat on the second strike and the catcher chucked his glove and hit him and by that time as he went in for another shot with the bat the, the teams converged on him and it was pretty ugly. Now Just keeping fighting. the game clean. You got a bat <laughs> at your at the ready. Right, Gordon? Well, find out how uh, a good doctor would uh, deal with a good bat attack next on uh, Doc Talk. Coming up with Hans right around the corner on 1280. Stay tuned for Big that. show continues on 97.5, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wrap it up, the big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I uh, want to say thanks to everybody for listening today. Today's been fun, Gordo. Yeah, we had a good time. Uh, lots going on, lots to look at, lots to make fun of, lots to, uh, to consider. Indeed. Indeed. In, uh, in deep detail. You lost a little respect for me today, which I'm trying to recover from, but, you know, we're doing okay. I had uh, forgotten already. Yeah, good. Now you reminded no, me. No, that's too bad. Yeah, but his response was perfect. It was like, I don't care. Yeah. How will I go on? I don't, I mean, it's difficult. Your your uh, respect means everything to me. You really don't, you don't uh, really care what we think about you? Of course I do. Now, are you feeling sorry? Today's been, it was supposed to be like an uplifting show. I feel like there's been a lot of like hurt feelings today. <laughs> no, not really. I think it's been more like not real hurt you're, you're obsessing about Austin's looks, which was weird. No, I just said he looked better with a beard, I it's, think. He always obsesses about my looks. True. That's a good point. Obsess is such a strong word. Speaking of Austin. Yes, let's talk about me. <laughs> the movie show is coming up next, and uh, I guess uh, the, I mean not that all editions of the movie show of Movie Zone aren't special, but tonight is uh, is a special show. Tonight, I'm very, very, very excited about. So uh, we've got a couple of in studio guests in the segment second segment coming up tonight. Uh, there's a movie coming out with Jamie Fox called Just Mercy, oh. a real true story about a man that was put away in prison uh, for murder that he did not commit. And uh, and so uh, and was then later uh, released. And this man, Kerry Myers, he's not who the movie's made about, but he had the same thing happen to him. 
he'll be in studio, and Scott Budnick, who chose to then make this movie in conjunction with this story, will be in studio. I'm wow. very excited for yeah, it. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. You have a poll question, too? Yeah, uh, what historical event needs a movie made a, uh, about it? Well, the day that Gordon met Juice Newton. Not even a chuckle? I thought that was funny. I was considering it. It wasn't that big a deal, really. We will be reading Jake's answer on the air because it was pretty funny. What was it? Give that, us a stay hint. tuned. Now I'm trying to remember because I, I answered it right when I saw it because I had a... Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was one of Austin's uh, It was one of uh, Austin's episodes. Oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, all right. Uh, the Movie Zone coming up next. Thanks to Josh Parcell for jumping on with us. Thanks to Sam Amick as well. You can catch those in podcast form at 1280thezone.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All our great content, all our hours, interviews up there. Just search out The Big Show. Gordo, I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. All right, Jake. Look forward to it. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.